Hello and good day, Marvelous Podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing tremendous, and I am sending all of my prayers and well wishes to you, your family, your friends, wishing you all the best. We've got an absolutely exceptional episode of the show for you today. We have Humble the Poet on, and we are talking about his new book and his work, How to Be Loved, Loving Your Way to a Better life. This is a phenomenal episode. We talk about uh, the process of unlearning what is love, love and ego, uh, a deep dive on self-love, self-care versus self-love, being kind to your inner critic, the power of journaling and prayer, uh, what courage really is, the work of Michael Singer, the Kybalian, the biggest key of self-awareness and so much more. This is a very practical episode. It dives into all the facets of love, loving yourself, loving uh, others and uh, you know it's a really helpful episode and brings a lot of perspective to a topic that we can always continue to improve and find more perspectives to help us increase our capacity to love ourselves and also give that love back to our friends our family and people even who are uh, challenging us so if you enjoy this episode please share it far and wide consider leaving a review in iTunes and on Spotify that would be awesome uh, join the email list matt at uh, mattbelair.com and uh, if you're interested in coaching hit me up matt at zenathlete.com would love to hear from you work with you um i'm also going to be building some groups and some masterminds and some new courses so let me know what you're working on and how i can support you um but the best way to support the show as always is three kind acts wherever you are in the world today and i'll also be announcing i will be hosting a retreat um in peru so that's in the works right now it needs to be finalized so if you'd like to come with me to peru um we're going to be able to go to machu picchu there's going to be some elders there and i have a really great connection so i'm super excited to be able to do that so i need to iron out some details so if you've ever wanted to go to peru and you want to go with me and do a retreat and also you know meet with elders and do some trainings and some ceremonies um, let me know and uh, i'll give you the details so uh, that will be dropping soon so stay in touch all right that's it let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into the show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, courage, faith, and get ready to enjoy this amazing show with Humble the Poet. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship, so if you want to support this show, please share the episodes far and wide, but the best way to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, international best-selling author, and former elementary school teacher. What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years, crossing genres, mediums, and oceans. His first two releases, Unlearn and Things Nobody Can Teach Us, have become international bestsellers. He is the author of the new book, How to Be Loved, Simple Truths for Going Easier on Yourself, Embracing Imperfection, and Loving Your Way to a Better Life. Welcome to the show, Humble the Poet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on here, man. Uh, I get a lot of guests, um, so it was nice to see that another Canadian was uh, you know, doing well out in the world, so uh, congrats on that. And then just the, the book. fellow beardos. Uh, yeah, exactly. Two power beards coming in today. Um, you know, your the book title is so important and i love the um 
you know, the, the complete title, like it's so important right now. I think a lot of people struggle with that. It's a topic that comes up on the podcast and you've done a really big deep dive on this topic. So I just love to uh, start the show by, you know, you introducing yourself to the audience about your journey coming from a school teacher to where you are now. Yeah, I grew up in Toronto, born and raised and, um, you know, loved being in school, loved it so much that I decided to work in school. And while working as an elementary school teacher, I realized that I had a unique ability to speak to the youth. And, and that allowed me to kind of get into spoken word poetry and find different ways to communicate with people. And that evolved into rap. And then the rap evolved into writing. And I would sell books at the shows and um, the books took a life of their own. And then from that standpoint, um, you know, I self-published my first book in 2014 called Unlearn and um, had it self-published and was still doing the poetry and still doing the music and getting involved in other types of mediums. And then the book slowly grew. And then um, the biggest bookstore in Canada, which we would know as Indigo, reached out to me and did a licensing deal for the book. And when they plugged it into their mainstream system, it became an instant bestseller. And then at that point, um, I got a lot of attention from the States. And then the, uh, I signed with a publisher out here in the States uh, and then released my books out here. So I learned a, a U.S. release five years after I dropped it. And um, after that, um, I, I, hit the, I hit the hit the ground running, uh, releasing books, still doing music, um, and just exploring and unlearning and being vulnerable through art. That's amazing, man. You know, it's so good for you to be able to break away. I know there's a lot of people who work in jobs and they feel inspired to do other things. So it's really nice to see a story where you followed something that you're passionate about and it was able to grow into something so big and uh, beautiful. You know, you talked about uh, unlearn. Um, do you want to just start with that and then we'll go into your book? Because I feel like a lot of, um, let's say the audience in the world I feel like it would be a great benefit for people to start critically thinking for themselves, you know, not just taking things at face value to have critical thought and to, um, you'll process the information they're getting. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I think we don't realize, I think my time as a teacher taught me that we were empty vessels. You know, we do have a nurture that works with our nature. Um, but at the end of the day, that comes through education, culture, religion, and understanding. And what I started to realize was how are my patterns and habits of behavior uh, impacting my life for good and bad? And what you have to do is you realize you have to learn, relearn, and unlearn. And this focus of unlearning was super, supremely important to me because it required me to be self-aware. And I think the big thing that I just try to encourage anybody who reads my work is to pick up on their own patterns, be self-aware of their own modes, habits, tendencies, and, and see which ones are serving them. And if they're not serving them, um, you know, start a course correction to put themselves in a better situation. Absolutely. Uh, very simply, simply put. So when you went into your book, was there an inspiration that made you want to go to this topic? Did you see this as a common problem that you wanted to address? Or is it just something that you um, felt like you wanted to put out in the world? Uh, specifically, this book about love? Yeah. Yeah, no. So for me, as I said, the unlearning is the theme of all my work. And um, I was struggling in my own relationship that, that actually ended. And I was trying to figure out where I failed that love. And um, so I took a deep dive. And, you know, what this book is, is, it helped me realize that, okay, I wasn't struggling to find love. I was struggling to receive love. And that's what has to be done internally. Um, so what this book represents is, you know, not me being a love guru. It represents me being a love student 
and sitting at the front of the class, paying attention, taking all, all the notes, and then sharing the notes with everybody else, you know, who may not have the time, energy, or interest in doing so, and uncovering a lot of really interesting ideas uh, regarding love that are counterintuitive to what we've been taught. That's a that's beautiful. Well, you in the book you address a few different uh, categories and, and subtopics. So the first is you talk about what the f is love. So why don't we just start there? To you, what what does love mean? What is love? Uh, love is what's left when everything else ceases to exist. Love is what's left when all the other emotions calm down. Love is peace. Uh, love is the constant. Love is the movie screen life plays on. You know, love isn't something you have to find. You just have to clean up the clutter and allow it to breathe and create pathways for it. Um, and that's what love is. Love is, you know, you being the everything and nothing. That's how, you know, we kind of equate God to love. It's that point beyond duality. And, uh, you know, it's the analogy I like to use is love is the breeze and we have to do the work to open our sails. You know? But there's no lack of breeze anywhere. There's no lack of love anywhere. So for me, that's that's what love is. Love is peace. You know, it's not pleasure. Uh, it's not attention. It's not validation. It's not success. It's not beauty. It's none of those things. It's peace. And peace is not getting anything. Peace is not wanting anything. Beautiful. I love that. And in the start of your book, you talk about love is a path, not a destination, Uh, big versus small love. Uh, Perfect is the enemy of love and love. And this is just a few of the things you you speak on. I I wish we could kind of dissect your whole book, but we don't have the time for that. And love and ego won't hold hands. So so of all those things I just shared there, do you want to speak on some of them? Because I think they're all uh, very fascinating points of view. Yeah, love and ego won't hold hands. You know, our ego is what separates us from everybody else. Our ego is our identity, which is in our authentic selves. And whenever we do things to feed our ego, which is mainly our self-esteem, being liked by other people, being accepted by other people, we take ourselves farther away from love. So often we deny ourselves love because we want to be liked. And it's, it's really interesting to see that love isn't a, a step up from like. Love is almost in the opposite direction, you know. And uh, it's important to understand that gaining approval and acceptance from our peers and from our society and, and, and falling within culture and tradition, it's normal to feel that way. You know, we've all grown up like that, but it doesn't serve us in this modern society. You know, being our authentic selves allows us to breathe because we're wearing less masks. And I say less masks because we're always going to wear a mask in some capacity. So for me, you know, I view it as, okay, I'm trying to create path, pathways for love to flow. That's all I want. I want to make, to make little paths and let the rivers of love flow. Um, what are these obstructions? What are the stones? What are the garbage? What are the blockages? And doing things to feed your ego um, will always cause blockages. It's not going to do things to open things up. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And in your journey, you talked about just the you know, coming back to receive love, which I think is so important, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you you talk in your book about relationships as well. And, you know, if you don't have the love for yourself, you know, if you're not confident and authentic in yourself, if you're going around trying to be liked or, or using the ego, you're going to be attracting people who aren't going to love you for you. So that's the, that's the first part. And you touch on this in this book. And I feel like so many people struggle with that, with that authentic self love. So can you touch on that idea for a little bit? Yeah, I think people's idea of self-love is, is kind of been packaged as a product to buy. Self-love is going to the spa. Self-love is a bubble bath. Self-love is you know, doing your makeup, getting your hair done. Self-love is loving yourself the way you love others. Self-love is being your best friend. Self-love is being a nurturing parent. Self-love is figuring out whatever gaps you have in your upbringing that your parents weren't able to provide and filling in those gaps. 
Self-love is taking yourself out on a date. Self-love is looking at yourself in the mirror naked and, and saying thank you to what you see and not being critical of a body part. You know, self-love is, is, is bringing yourself pleasure. Self-love is giving yourself a hug. It's called self-havening. You can calm yourself down by giving yourself a hug. Self-love is being your best friend, being your biggest cheerleader and kicking yourself in the butt when you need it. You know, literally the ways we love other people, you know, as actual actions and ways that we can love ourselves. Self-love is prioritizing our self-respect over our self-esteem. And, and these are the important things to do. Sure, taking care of yourself, getting a massage, all of this is self-care. And self-care can be a language of self-love, but self-care can also go over the other way where people start to think that they're not enough as they are and they have to do a certain procedure or they have to get a certain treatment to become better. Self-love is recognizing that there is no enoughness. There is no worthiness. There's none of that. You are as you are. And as you are is, is, is what love can, can, can exist with. There's no worthiness. I don't want to tell somebody you're worthy of love. I don't want to tell somebody you're already enough. I just, I want to abandon those measurements. Stop having those measurements. Those measurements aren't important. Um, you can measure, you can measure other things as enough and worthy, but you can't measure yourself. And it's, you know, pulling petals off a flower doesn't make it any less of a flower. It's the same thing. There's no enoughness when it comes to a person. So just realize love isn't a prize to win. Love isn't a, it isn't the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, love isn't a life beyond suffering. You know, love is the standard. Love is the default. And what we're doing is just creating a big mess with our insecurities, our traumas, and all of that. And self-love is, is dealing with this stuff, addressing it, being in therapy, eating healthy, drinking water, working out, journaling, praying, doing things to be vulnerable with yourself, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations voluntarily to build a level of resilience and to learn about yourself. These things are extremely important in the world of self-love. Very well put. You you covered so many different topics, and I want to dive a little deeper. You you did touch on it. Just the idea of someone who's struggling with self worth or self love. They're like, you know, I don't I don't know how to love myself, or I don't even like myself, and um, they're seeking approval from other people, or they're anxious, or they or they think like self love is uh, selfish, and all of those ideas. You know, if if a person, and I've only met a few people in my life that can do this, where they wake up and they just genuinely honestly authentically love and appreciate themselves for who they are all the good all the bad and it's a very beautiful thing and it's a very empowering thing and i believe if you have that that's a fundamental building block for being successful in your life but also you know so many people who listen to this show want to make a positive impact in the world Right. And so mm-hmm. when you are carrying that uh, vibration of love, that feeling of love, you know, when you go into a place and you probably see this for people who watch your shows, you have an idea of who you are. Have you ever heard about the word egregor before, like a spirit? It's mm-hmm. kind of like this, the spirit of things. So Coca-Cola has an egregor, right? Uh, the U.S. Army has an egregor. You know what I mean? The spirit of what it is, a bank. Has. So the spirit of the show, you'll be very different between that and maybe like a death metal band or something, right? Mm-hmm. So as you carry that authentic self-love, you almost carry a higher resonance. But I feel like give permission to other people to see that and have the mirror neurons and say, oh, wow, like that person was very empowering. I like being around them. And uh, I'd love for you to speak on those ideas. Yeah, I think when people say I don't know how to love myself, again, I, I I view it as they're leaning heavily in the world of self-esteem. They're finding their value in terms of other people and how other people view them. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here to judge people for that. I'm, I'm I love attention. I love validation. We all do. It's a, an addictive salty potato chip. 
But we just have to realize is the same way you eat a bag of chips. You know, you can't just have one and nobody's weak for, you know, wanting more. You have to keep that out of your kitchen. That's the best way not to eat chips. It's not to have it in your cupboard and, and use your willpower. It's just never not have it around. And it's the same thing with validation. We live in a world where social media is, is turned validation into a metric. You know exactly how many people are looking at you, how many people like you, why they like you, what they're saying. And this is this isn't good for self-love. This is encouraging you to go down a path of self-esteem and self and validation. So when people say I don't know how to love myself, do you know how to love anybody? And love is service. Serve yourself. Go easy on yourself. Embrace your imperfections. Everybody we love, everybody we love isn't perfect. And none of those imperfections disqualify them from us loving them. It's, why, why do we have to be perfect to, to, to earn love from ourselves? We don't. We have to accept ourselves as it is. That's what I'm saying. Go in front of the mirror. Go naked. Look at yourself. And look at yourself naked in front of the mirror and embrace what you see. Say thank you. And if, and if you have a little bit more fat on your tummy, that's okay. Say thank you because your body's been with you the whole time. This is what self-love is, is actually loving yourself. It's not self-love. Is, love isn't a light switch. Love is work. Even in romantic relationships, love is work. Love is fuel. Love is what fuels you to do the work to make the relationship work. The, the success of a romantic relationship comes in the everyday boring stuff, in the, in the logistics of it, in the planning of it, in the making, prioritizing and scheduling of that relationship. It's the same thing with you. When's the last time we took ourselves on a date? You don't take yourself out on a date, then you, you're not building a relationship with yourself. When's the last time we've been vulnerable with ourselves? Vulnerability is going to come through being honest with yourself. The only person that deserves your absolute, complete honesty is yourself. The only potential that you should be falling in love with is your own. So how do we articulate all of this? We articulate this through journaling. And journaling gets these ideas out and we can and put them on paper and takes the weight off of ourselves and the stress. Praying, praying, irrespective of your spiritual beliefs, praying is the only time you're going to authentically say what you want and you're authentically going to say what you're grateful for because it's not performative. When you pray, you're praying for you and your algorithm or your creator or your God. And it's important to do these because you're creating moments of vulnerability with yourself. I have a story in the book about a girl who dances. She dances to connect with her body. Close your, close your blinds, blast some music, and dance in your room. That'll get you more connected with yourself. This is how we love ourselves. It's not rocket science. It's the same things that we do to try to love somebody else. We serve them. We become vulnerable with them. We become intimate with them. We prioritize them. We find out what they like, and we try to give them that. Apologies, I'm in the heart of Manhattan. So, you know, living in city life. Yeah, no, that's all right. You're in the big city now. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to put on your website when they do, you know, New York City, Toronto, then London or whatever, and Berlin. Mm -hmm. Those are like the, the big ones when you've made it. Um, you know, those are all, again, it's really well put. And I just want to keep going at what you touch on in your book here. Another big idea is the inner critic. So many people, I would say most people, 90% plus, probably closer to 95% have this inner critic that's so terrible to them, right? And I've often said, you know, if you could have your inner critic be, be your best cheerleader, your number one fan, it's just the most supportive, loving, compassionate, kind, you know, self-talk, that would really transform our lives. And, and most of us, we're not hardwired that way. And I'm curious even, you know, if you have an idea of why that would be, why is our self-critic, our inner critic hardwired to be 
negative for most people? And how do we transform it or shift it so it can be a more positive ally? So I think the reason our, we have a lot of negative emotions is because negative emotions keep us alive. So let's look at it from a grand scale. As human beings, we've been in our current form for about 40,000 years. And even though our world has evolved very quickly, living creatures don't evolve quickly. They don't, you know, we're pretty much the same animals and species that we were 40,000 years ago, you know, drawing on caves or, or living in small tribal communities or, you know, living in a world without electricity. Just because we live in big cities, that hasn't changed our biology and our biological makeup. So the negative emotions, the paranoia, the need to be accepted, all of these were valid and useful tools to keep us alive. You know, if you look at the, if you Google emotion wheel, the only positive emotions in the entire wheel are happy and debatably surprised. Every other emotion is negative because negative keeps you alive. Being paranoid and looking around and thinking something might jump up and attack you keeps you alive, even if you're wrong. You know, because you only have to be right once when the saber-toothed tiger comes to bite off your head. So it's, it's, re, it's not reframing and trying to convert this inner critic into an ally. It's understanding why the inner critic is there. The analogy I like to use is when you buy a phone, it already comes with software built in, right? It comes with a calculator. It may come with a notepad. You can't delete the software. These negative emotions, these critical thoughts that we have, they have their youth, they were useful tools for tens of thousands of years, and we can't delete them. The only thing we can do is be aware of them. The quote that I say in the book is, don't beat yourself up for beating yourself up. You know, understand that you can't uh, recruit your inner critic. Your inner critic is serving a purpose. And if this was even 500 years ago, your inner critic would be your best friend, keeping you alive, making you watch out for all the different dangers that could be coming your way. Humans are no longer in a situation where there are physical dangers. Now there's dangers in terms of their identity, you know, survival in terms of their, their relevance, survival in terms of their value. But all the tools that we have as the creatures that we are, they, they came from keeping us physically alive. So what we have to understand is, you know, Mother Nature pretty much had to sign a contract saying, eat, sleep, and procreate. And then anytime we want to do anything beyond that, it it gets hard. Mother Nature says no. You know, you say you're gonna go to the gym. Good luck getting up out of bed and walking to the walking to the door and, and putting on your shoes. You know, it's hard. Getting started is the hardest part. And we're and we're literally hacking, you know, our nature to do all these additional things. And we can see that in nature because there's no other animal that does anything. Even when animals play, they're training. Animals who who you know being ticklish is teaching you to protect your most vulnerable parts. You know, that's why we have it, <laughs> you know, and animals play to learn how to fight. It's, that's why their fight, the play looks like fight. So what we just have to understand is make peace with like, this is how I'm designed. I am a, I'm a robot. I'm a moist robot. And I have all this programming in me that made so much sense a thousand years ago. It doesn't make sense anymore. It made sense when I lived in a population of a hundred and people not accepting me meant they would banish me out of the community and I would die. So I need to keep everybody happy. I need, I need to be a people pleaser to survive. Now you don't need to be a people pleaser to survive, but disappointing people makes you feel like you're going to die because we have enough. The software is not going to upgrade anytime soon. It takes hundreds of millions of years for evolution to occur. And we're not, we're nowhere even close to that. We're not even at a hundred years of being humans as we are as homo, uh, homo sapiens. So 
that's something where I look at my inner critic and I just, I'm aware of it. I understand there is an inner critic and the inner critic is going to say things. And I just have to remind myself of my history of when I bypass it. It's like courage. Courage isn't an absence of fear. Courage is doing it despite the fear. So moving forward, this isn't an absence of an inner critic. It's moving forward despite the inner critic. And there's no point in, in, in wasting energy arguing with the inner critic. Let the inner critic say his piece and be like, thank you. And then take the steering wheel and do what you're going to do anyways. The same way you should do it for outer critics. The challenge is we are floating through life subconsciously and we're encouraged based off these current economies to stay in a space of like subconsciousness, to just do things out of habit, to just watch things, to distract ourselves constantly. We're not living in a world of awareness of ourselves. We don't ask ourselves, why is this my favorite food? Why do I find that person attractive? Why are these my habits? Why is this my personality? These are important. We gotta ask ourselves and we start to pinpoint where these patterns came from. And then we realize that we can change those patterns. It's not easy in any capacity. Some people say it could take up to, you know, starting minimum 56 days, up to eight months to develop a habit. It's not in the thing is all the habits that we had because we were kids and our parents forced us to go to school. And through painful repetition, we learned how to read. We learned how to count. We learned how to speak. We learned how to walk. We learned how to dress. It was all painful repetition. Then we're adults. We don't want to do any of that work. You know, that's what it is. We just don't want to do the work. And I don't blame anybody for that. But if you don't like where you're at, the path from a bad place to a better place has to go through a worse place. You got to do the work. And it's going to be uncomfortable work. But that discomfort will build a strength and a resilience that will unlock a better version of you. And it will increase your self-respect. So you don't have to rely on self-esteem to feel like you matter and exist. Beautifully put. Again, so many excellent points. I love the distinction between just knowing that the inner critic is there and it might not always be automatically feeding you positive information and knowing that's part of the setting, you know, like we need to process danger in this reality, right? We look left and right before we cross the road, because if we don't, you know, we can be harmed And the inner critic and the subconscious mind. Part of that is to keep you safe at the base level, to be aware of all these different things, sending you signals. So, you know, that's, you know, ideally nothing bad is going to happen. And I don't know the exact Zen saying or quote, but it's the idea that let's say you judge someone, you know, or, you know, you don't, judge yourself for judging someone you know what i mean just understanding that it's an unconscious automatic response or if you have this negative thought right like attaching to it it's more about the attachment to the thought or the idea that's where we're causing ourselves pain and suffering again where the idea is just the idea we just let it go we just observe it you know and then just let it pass just let it go you don't need to hold on to it and be dragged like a horse you know <laughs> you know and, and reminding yourself every emotion you've ever felt past good ones and the bad your happiest day faded. Your saddest day faded. Emotions, you are not your emotions. You are not your thoughts. You are not the world around you. You're, 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 you're inside a vehicle experiencing all of this. And that's not even a spiritual idea. That's, that's, that's really what it is. You're experiencing emotions. You're not the emotion. I'm not happy. I'm experiencing happiness. You know, if I have a thought, most of the thoughts were given to us. We're not formulating these thoughts. These thoughts were given to us. You know, we're given our beliefs through our culture. We're given our accents. You know, I have an accent based on where I was born. You know, that that shaped my vocal cords and my vocal muscles to make me sound like this. If I grew up in Brazil, I'd sound different. You know, we are natured and nurtured into this. And it's just being aware of that. And we're like, this isn't me. These are just, these, these are the ways I've been molded. 
these are the, these are the things I'm experiencing, and I can be more than this. So I have access to more information, and I can do more programming and understand my software. I love that. It leads me to the question to go a little bit deeper here. You know, when I'm sometimes doing a training or a talk, you know, I say, okay, yeah, you're not your thoughts, right? If you think about, you know, okay, you're not your thoughts, you're not your emotions, and you chop off your hand, you're you're not even your body, you know, as long as you've got the functioning bits and you're still there. So, you know, and you're not even the observer, you know, going meditation and you observe your thoughts, but who is the thing observing the thoughts? So then you start to go down this, you know, rabbit hole. And I wanted to give you this question, like someone who has kind of made your own path, you know, you followed your heart and what in things led in a positive direction. Um, when we experience things, if we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions, how do we bring in more love into our life? So we're, so I don't think it's about, you know, rejecting the negative emotions. Just when you use the workout, it's the easiest one. If I want to be in shape and increase my cardio, I'll have to go through the pain of running a 10 miles or whatever the case is. They're kind of together. You can't separate them. And I'd be mm -hmm. curious your thoughts on navigating through life. Maybe you're going through a challenging situation or a beautiful situation. Do you think it's possible to live this kind of enlightened state, which I used to think was possible, but now I don't where you're kind of like, you know, at peace and in love all of the time. Maybe some people can do that. I haven't mastered that, but I'm just curious. Your thoughts yeah. I mean, I, th I think, you know, I think Michael Singer talks about that and he, what he talks about is just getting out of your heart. He's like the things that make your heart happy and the things that make your heart sad. He's like, you can transcend that. And once you transcend that, you're not addressing it. I've never met anybody like that. Um, but I think I, it makes sense the way he, he frames it. And I think the way he frames it is, you know, if you don't want to be affected by the bad, you can't be affected by the good. So he's like, we're just operating on joy and pain at a lower level. And if you abandon both of those, abandon the joy as well, then you will transcend into something that has you at peace all the time. And there is no good news. There is no bad news. You know, it's just news. And he looked at it as, you know, you don't have an opinion on Saturday's dreams. You don't have an opinion on the streetlight. Why do you have an opinion on a bird pooping on your head? You know what <laughs> I mean? So he's like, it's all of it was happening before you. All of it was going to happen. Stop having opinions on it and you'll feel better. Your, your pain doesn't come from what's happening. It comes from how you're dealing with it and your expectations about what it should have been. So I think there's a beauty in that and a pragmatic point for that. Um, no, I think you learn when things suck. You don't learn when things are good. So I don't reject shitty feelings. I don't reject unpleasant emotions. That's when you learn. That's when you evolve. So it's more about reframing the value of these. You don't win and lose. You win or learn. So I'm not here to avoid suffering. I'm not here to avoid bad days. You know, I'm here to take them because those are the times that make me a better person. It's the reason you lift weights. You put yourself voluntarily in unpleasant situations. So when you got to help a friend move the couch, you're ready. <laughs> yeah, again, very well put. I recently uh, listened to Michael Singer's book, uh, The Surrender Experiment, and a very powerful philosophy to surrender to all of life, trusting that that divine force is guiding you and molding you and shaping you into something beautiful. It has this divine nature in your best interest is heart, but it doesn't mean that it's all hunky dory all the time. You know, so if someone's writing a book on love, you're not saying be in a state of love all the time. There's going to be these other emotions, uh, just don't attach to them. And so, for the person who is struggling with just existing with self-love or, or with relationships, what would be your first step of advice to just welcome more love in? And I just want to rant about this because I um, keep having the idea, but in, I think it's, what is it in alchemy? That's uh, one of like the Emerald tablets or something like that. I can't remember what the Kybalion. There we go. It talks about, you know, 
the emotional spectrum. So you might have love at the very highest and then despair or uh, anger or shame or guilt at the lowest. And it's just a spectrum of the same idea. And one way it was put to me was, you know, the more you can allow for the capacity for the challenges in life. So for the anger, for the despair, not have them take over your being, then you you have a greater capacity for love, for joy, for acceptance, for all of life, because it is the entire spectrum. Yeah, I think, again, it all starts with our relationship with ourselves. If you're not in a healthy space with yourself, you'll never be able to establish something healthy with anybody else. So when you're talking about allowing more love in, again, it's not finding the love, it's opening your, it's, it's creating those pathways. That's it. And I think from that standpoint, it's like, you know, addressing your insecurities, uh, addressing, you know, doubtful thoughts, uh, addressing ego stuff, addressing all of that. And I think from that standpoint, it's just really important to look at that. If we don't love ourselves, we'll never be in a situation to receive love or love other people. It's servicing. So it really starts with learn how to be with yourself. Loneliness is not being alone. Loneliness is not feeling connected. So I'm always going to say develop a healthier relationship with yourself first. I 100% agree. And do you want to touch on that a little bit? Because the next uh, chapter or, or section in your book is love for others. And this is such a big one. People struggling in relationships uh, or whatever the case may be, they do feel loneliness and they might not feel worthy of love. And that's such a terrible space to be in because it's going to cause you to have shame and guilt and loneliness. And then you're going to be seeking a validation and all these terrible things. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about just the idea of being comfortable in your loneliness or if you're going through that and you feel like you're never going to ever find love and, and nobody's ever going to love me that idea. How do they build? Yeah. You are muscle? a source of love. You're a source of love. There's no finding love. You are a source of love. And if you can't discover it within you, you're not going to get it anywhere else. Stop outsourcing your need for love. Like you can't, you won't, you, you, you built up a fortress that doesn't allow you to receive love. That fortress is a prison. You're not going to get it from other people. It's only going to be temporary. That's why we have a 56% divorce rate. You know, we have stories from cultures and Disney movies that tell us certain things, but we can't do anything about that. And um, what we have to do is we have to look inside. Solitude is the gift of being alone. Loneliness is a punishment of being alone. We have to realize that we are heavily, heavily rewarded with all this dopamine, with all this social media, all this TV. Learn to sit by yourself. See how uncomfortable it is. When you're able to exist by yourself, you won't need anything else. Again, love is not needing anything. It's not getting everything. And right now we live in a consumeristic society that wants us to get everything. And that's what needs to change. Again, beautifully put. I love all that. So when we are dealing in a world that has been very challenging for a lot of people, it's shifted things. Uh, people have had to really make a lot of changes the last couple of years, deal with a lot of different challenges. What is the hope for your book? and? If you could change anything in the world, you know, what, what would those things, what would you like to see more of and what would you like to see less of? I just want everyone to become more self-aware, just commit to a path of self-awareness, you know, whatever that may be. Just realize that you exist in patterns and pick up on those patterns. And I think the quality of your life will significantly improve. I don't have any policies or, or mantras or, or ways I think the world needs to live. I think the nature, you know, when you start picking up on how you operate, you start understanding how the world operates. The world is the way it is for a reason, you know, the causality, forget anything else. One thing caused another thing, which caused another thing. And as you start picking up on your patterns, you can better understand how to navigate this world instead of banging your head against it, hoping it was something that it's not. 
Excellent. Yeah. Again, beautifully put. When we look at uh, children, you know, and and again, your book, the the idea of self-love, I feel like if we can indoctrinate our children to be full of self-love and self-worth and accountability and to be self-aware, as you just put, it was so important, that would be very empowering for our future generations. I'm curious what your thoughts are being a teacher and looking at our youth and our children, what we can do to empower them to have more self-love and more self-worth and also that all self self-awareness. I think focus on progress, focus on effort. Don't focus on perfection. Don't focus on results. Encourage them to try their best and celebrate them, them trying their best. If they win the game and they didn't try their best, let them know that that wasn't good. If they lose the game, but they tried their best, let them know that it was good. Effort, effort, effort is the currency that takes you far in life. Nothing else, you know, and um, we always have control over our attitudes and effort. So do that. Don't give them expectations that you need them to get an A. Give them the expectations that you need them to outclass themselves, compete with themselves, and put them in that situation where they need to constantly better themselves and celebrate the progress. The baby steps add up. They don't need to ever be perfect. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And when we look at people out there now, I see a lot of people reaching out and they're just in this transition in their life. You're someone who was a teacher, but you enjoyed that. And then you kind of went on a a different journey. If someone is looking at their life and they're having a little bit of a a challenge with where they are, they want to be, you know, they want a different lifestyle. Maybe they're working too hard. Maybe they don't have enough time for their family. Maybe they're struggling with dough. How do you help them line themselves up to know who they are a little bit more and then do you think it's possible for everybody to kind of shift a career or way of life or lifestyle in something that's more aligned with who they truly are? Um, I think the first thing I would do is have them tell me what's important to them, have them write it down. Then I would have them, uh, no, first I would have them write out a day, a typical day in their life and show me their calendar. Then I would have them write down what's important to me or important to them. And then I would see how things line up. You know, if something's important to you, it'd be in your calendar. And I think that'd be the first step. If they want, you know, if they're working 10 hours a day, you know, you can't always make more money, find somewhere cheaper to live. You know, there's, we live in an age where we can cross oceans. We can live in cheap countries. We can do all of these things. They're, they're, they're big extreme moves, but they are nonetheless. And I think from that standpoint, it's uh, do what's necessary to survive this. You know, there's no, I'm not here to, I'm not here to sugarcoat it, you know, life is hard and, and um, only the most adaptable survive. And it's a uh, tough times make strong people. And uh, we live in a society that's endlessly selling us conveniences and conveniences are weapons formed against us. You know, the doing it yourself is super important. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I, came up with an analogy once when I was talking to my friend about how just convenient the world was. And, you know, not even a few years ago, you could go hunt and you could garden and you could provide your own food and water. Almost no one I know, there's very few people I know that can do that. We, you know, we just go to the grocery store and that's it. But that's one of our basic things, how to build a house, all these different skills and tools that were uh, well-known just a few decades ago are now mostly lost. And so, you know, the challenge of going out to do that 
um, you know, you're sacrificing convenience, just going to the grocery store and maybe eating something that, you know, isn't ideal, right? Then you get the the microwave food and it's even worse. Um, man, this has been an absolute treat. Uh, I appreciate your work. As I go through your book and I invite people to check out your book because every single chapter and subheading is something that is important. And it's like you've hit on all aspects of, you know, what love is, love for self and love of relationship. And it will really allow people to explore their own relationship with love, which you've been saying is the most important important thing that self-reflection and who we want to be in this world and understanding um, how important it is for ourselves so that we can give that to others if people are lacking. I give the idea at Burning Man, you know, if if you're going around Burning Man and everybody's giving you these amazing different things all the time, but if somebody runs up to you, often you don't have any water because you're in the middle of the desert and you don't have any water to give them. You can't help them. And I feel the exact same way with love. You know what I mean? If, if someone is suffering and they're in despair, they need somebody who can help make them feel better or support them in some way. If you have no love for self, then you're not going to be able to help them. But just having that self-awareness and that own evolution, that's enough yeah. to be a listener, to be, yes. you know, uh, an ear, you know, cause you're just going to resonate with that. Definitely. The step one is just, as I said, if I got to tell everyone to believe something, it would be, be more self-aware, pick up on your patterns. That's all that matters. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else that you wish that I had asked or that you want to leave the listeners with before you uh, head off to your next appointment? Um, Self-love starts at home. Just start it at home. That's all it is. It's uh, start it at home and uh, treat yourself the way you wish other people treated you. Easy. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, I love everything. Where can people find more about you if they want to pick up the book if they want to look at some of your spoken word where should they go at humble the poet um, humble the poet.com slash love awesome well thanks so much for coming on the show i appreciate you and thanks everybody for watching peace peace thank you so much brother yeah my pleasure There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Humble the Poet. I hope that you enjoyed that show and then you got some powerful perspectives to help you increase your capacity to love yourself and to love others. If you enjoyed it, please share the episode far and wide. Leave a review on iTunes. Become a member at mattbelair.com for free or by donation. Join the email list and uh, stay in touch because there's going to be some exciting announcements coming up. If you want to work with me or you have any questions, just hit me up matt at zenathlete.com. I've been working with entrepreneurs, with athletes, and also with uh, teenagers lately. A lot of uh, parents have wanted me to work with their kids, which is uh, something that I do not often, but uh, every now and then. And it's always great to just be able to help fast track the young people and in, in help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I made by uh, you know, missing some of those mistakes. So if I can support you, please let me know. There's going to be some exciting stuff coming down the line. So stay in touch and uh, let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we end this show. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, faith, power, courage, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.